This episode is brought to you in part by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Experience the joy and freedom that comes from a faith that perseveres. Check out Unshakable Moxie, growing a resilient faith at unshakablemoxie.com from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit unshakablemoxie.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week is the fourth and final episode in our series on Christian leadership. We kicked off the series with Joanne Jung and Rick Langer discussing our never-changing call to follow Jesus and how to pursue that in a world that views following as weakness. Episode two in the series, I sat down with Jeff and Tara Matson. We discuss the integrity gap between what leaders preach and live, how big T and little t traumas impact leaders, and what we should do about it. Then last week, Tim Wenders joined me for a raw and honest conversation on leadership. I love the way he defined leadership. He said a leader is someone who is a steward, who oversees the people, places, and or things that God has given them. Therefore, we are to return them in better condition than when we found them. It was a profound way to consider leadership. To close the series, I am joined by Alan Fadling to discuss how to become an unhurried leader by living at the pace of Jesus. You may be asking, what does the pace of Jesus look like? Alan has written extensively on the topic, receiving Christianity Today's Award of Merit in Spirituality for his book, An Unhurried Life. All of his books are linked in the show notes, and today he shares a few details and practices that will help you understand what the pace of Jesus looks like and how to begin living and leading in that way. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for being on the Grace Enough podcast. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about unhurried living and unhurried leadership, um, which is something that you have written extensively about and talk about regularly. And so it's an honor to have you on the show to discuss it, because when you talk about unhurried living, you're not talking about clearing calendars or getting rid of to-do lists, but you're talking about living at the pace of Jesus. Will you expound on that a little bit for us? Yeah. um, Part of what that raises is the question of what is our vision of Jesus? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm coming up on 40 years in paid ministry here in in a little bit. And I realize I've had different visions of Jesus along the Mm -hmm. way. Early on, I would have to be honest and say that I am mostly envisioned him as the guy who gave me jobs to do, you know, like, so he was the to-do list maker. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that's who he is, but it's who I thought he was. So therefore, faithfulness looked like me getting lots and lots of things done. Mm. So to me, it has helped to think, no, Jesus lives at the pace of communion with his father, no faster, no slower. Mm -hmm. And he lives at the pace of loving his neighbor, just like he invites us to do. He's one 
who has time for those who cross his path. There have been times when I have been frantically running past people to get things done. I just don't think that reflects the kingdom too well. I don't think it does. It's very good work. So that pace, that kingdom pace looks more like grace than it does driven busyness. Mm -hmm. It looks more like peace than frantic anxiety. It looks more like presence than profound distraction. So that's a little bit of what I envision when I talk about this unhurried way of living in imitation of Christ. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, so when it happened, when you began making that shift yourself in ministry, um, I mean, obviously, I sit and think of someone like my husband who is in a position where it's really hard to practice mm. the presence of Christ all the time, because not only is your to-do list actually a mile long because you are in charge, but there's always interruptions. You know, yeah. it's this coworker comes in, like, I don't even know how to, like, how did you begin to wrap your mind around accepting the interruptions and accepting that your to-do list is just not going to be done? Yeah. So- I think part of that has been about, you use the language of practice. It really is something you have to practice. You can't just decide one day, you know, today I'm going to be okay with interruptions. I know. <laughs> you know, I just, they're irritating. I'm a plan per person. I'm a structure person. I don't like when that gets goofed up. So it literally was a matter of practicing. Like maybe I could practice that my agenda is not without error. My mm. agenda does not run the universe. Maybe God is better at that than I am, even when it comes to my own very important job. Mm. And so that's good for me. It's, it's, it's humble when I do that. Humility is a more unhurried way of living than arrogance, pride, self-promotion, self-concern. That'll speed me up. That will accelerate me. So it's been really good. One of the things Dallas Willard used to say is, you know, anything you could do in anxiety, you could just do a lot better in peace. Mm -hmm. And when I've thought of those kinds of sentences, I've realized, yeah, my hurry is not accomplishing as much as I think it is. Mm -hmm. I tend to just actually do better work, whether I'm writing or speaking or whatever the task is. I just tend to do it better in a more unhurried way. And that is something that you've written. You wrote, slowing down is often the better spiritual move 
rather than autopiloting into acceleration in the face of challenges or hardships. And so when we talk about practicing, what are some of those, maybe those little, you know, sentences that you say to yourself, those little quote unquote mantras, scriptures, Mm -hmm. you know, those practical practices that you actually do have to physically stop yourself in the middle of the panic. Absolutely. And that is exactly right. It is Mm -hmm. partly it's practice off the spot when you're alone, Mm. when you're quiet. It's like going to the gym. You know, if you're an athlete, the gym is not the main thing. It's preparation for the main thing. And a lot of our spiritual practices are very similar. We're doing something when we're alone or off the spot that enables us to be a different person when we're on Mm. the spot. But um, for me, one of the things that has helped a lot is that simple line that starts Psalm 23. It's one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, whether or not you would describe yourself as a Christ follower. It's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. (laughs) That's more than just lovely funeral poetry. That is a statement of reality about how the world God has made works, Mm. that When I settle into and rest into God as my shepherd, Jesus, who describes himself as a very good shepherd, I find that actually my anxiety, though it's predicting lots of want in my future, Mm -hmm. I actually don't end up with as much want as I thought I would. In fact, I find that I can live my life gratefully. Gratitude will lead me to a much more unhurried way than anxiety ever will. Yeah. I mean, when you say that Psalm 23, I remember when my husband just started praying it every single day. And that's a Mm. practice now in his work life that he does regularly. And I appreciate that you say it's something that you do off the spot because, I mean, now he just presses pause at random times through the day to do that so that when craziness comes, you know, you can unhurry yourself. And so what are some of the things like when you think about um, Psalm 23, when you think about slowing down to unhurry yourself, what are some practical ways that you even encourage maybe the leader who is trying to help their, whether it be their employees, in my case, my children, you know, because like Dallas says, we all have kingdoms. (laughs) We -hmm. all have dominion over something, um, whether it be me parenting, my husband leading, in your case, people under you in ministry. What are some of those ways that we encourage others to practice that? Well, so when I work with leaders, one of the things I'll often say is that we tend, and understandably so, we tend to measure leadership in terms of activities, mm-hmm. the things we do. And that's that's true, of course. Uh, if you're not doing anything, you're probably not leading anybody. Mm-hmm. But right alongside activity is the discipline of receptivity. A lot of spiritual practices, for example, are much more about receptivity than they are activity. Mm-hmm. Well, when you practice a discipline like solitude or silence on some sort of rhythm, It's a season of time, a moment of time, maybe a day of time, if you can stretch it, where you're not doing something. You're not engaging with your normal, you know, human interactions. You're not measuring your life by things you're accomplishing, the practice of Sabbath, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not measuring yourself by all the things you say, but you're cultivating some time to listen. It's some rhythm of practices of receptivity that help cultivate this unhurried way. So uh, I actually have a job description that we've written 
for my role in this organization. And it includes activities and it includes receptivities. Mm. There are commitments I make to certain spiritual practices that I believe and now by experience have found produces better fruit. It's more productive in any way you want to measure it. Then I, I say it this way. Uh, I can get more done in six days than other people can get done in seven. Mm. And that's not just a cute thing to say. It's actually true. Uh, when I'm rested, when I'm unhurried, I'm more creative. I've got mm -hmm. better vision. I have better wisdom. I have more hopefulness. When I'm frantically hurried, when, when anxiety is driving me or when what everyone else thinks is driving me, I just get in a tunnel and it yeah. starts to paralyze. It, it does not help. Yeah. Would you say this as well? When you first start practicing those things, when you first start introducing Sabbath or just a couple minutes of silence and solitude, that frantic, I don't want to say frantic, the mind, the running mind that continues for a while. Like you have to persist in that before you get to the place of hopefulness and creativity. That's really well said. That's exactly right. And in a sense, you could almost say that at first, those kinds of practices are more diagnostic. Yeah, they... because I went crazy when I first started practicing silence. Absolutely. <laughs> so in other words, when I, like, when I work with coaching clients or a, a coaching group, I'll say, take five minutes and be quiet. Mm -hmm. Don't imagine that it's going to feel like sitting on your favorite beach, sipping your favorite drink. Imagine that it'll probably feel more like being aware of your anxiety mm -hmm. or being aware of that frantic racing mind that that's, you know, it's one of the reasons we run. We don't want to be aware of those things. But the it's thing true. is, those movements inside ourselves are not uh, forever. Mm. Uh, if you wait them out, they they lose steam. They do. And so the good thing is you begin to realize that the things that drive you and hurry you don't have nearly the staying power as the kingdom does. Yeah. Wow. That is powerful. Because what prompted me originally to share a series on just leadership in general is, is a book titled The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership which really goes along with um, the second section of the devotional that you've just put out, Unhurried Living. And so when you hear that title, what first comes to mind? Yeah. So, you know, this new book, uh, A Year of Slowing Down, is it's trying to get at, in part, you know, your, to your point, our culture has a certain vision of leadership. It tends mm -hmm. to be solitary, it's that person way out in front that, you know, is very popular, maybe has a big personality. It's very person-centered, leader-centered. Uh, that's not how it is in the kingdom. The kingdom leadership looks more like service. It looks more like following. That's how leading happens, by following. It looks more humble and gentle and patient and kind. And those are not words you might typically use for leaders out there in our cultural environment. Those might seem like liabilities yeah, rather than assets. Mm. And so, you know, I think leadership in the kingdom is always rooted in following. And I think those qualities of humility or gentleness, kindness or patience, these are qualities that resonate in the presence of God. A lot of the popular virtues in cultural leadership don't play very well with kingdom virtues. Yeah. And I mean, that 
when you're someone who doesn't necessarily, and even if you do work in ministry, I mean, I hate to say that I've seen people just as exhausted and confused on what life in the kingdom looks like who work in ministry, who work outside of ministry. And yeah, that's a whole other conversation, right? Or maybe it's not. But when I think about someone again, like my husband, who you're trying so hard to slow down, but you don't have the ultimate influence, right? Like you're not Uh the one who holds all the weight. You just hold a lot of the weight. What are some ways that you stay grounded in that rat race? Like Psalm 23, I know you said, but is there anything else practice wise that really helps you stay grounded? Well, again, this is partly where the whole matter of the how you live off the spot makes mm. an immense amount of difference. Yeah. How you arrange the hours that you have absolutely full control of makes a difference over uh, than those hours that you have some control of, but maybe not complete, you know, control of. And so that makes a great deal of difference. I think also in whatever scope of responsibility you have, leadership, power, I think you can create a kind of mini culture uh, within Mm -hmm. any setting. It doesn't have to be uh, contrary to the larger culture. It doesn't have to be antagonistic. But you can do something when you have, let's say, a department or a community of people you lead. You can lead them in different ways. And I think, for example, of, you know, when Daniel was told uh, he needed to eat the king's food because that's how he needed to. This is how he could really be his best. And David had a different vision of being his best. And so he said, these vegetables, this is kind of let's let's test this out. Let's see how that goes. Let's see if it's. And of course, we know the story is he turned out better. Mm. I'd like to think that if what we're talking about here in the kingdom of God is real, not just religious, not just inspirational talk, but actually substantially how the world works and how things, you know, do go well, that living this way would prove productive in the ways that matter. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Daniel is a great example because he also, you know, was so committed to prayer mm-hmm. um, and committed to doing it consistently, even when he was asked not to, mm-hmm. you know, even facing towards Jerusalem when the temple was no longer there, like 70 plus years later. And so it's like, I, I don't even know where to go with that, except for like, we really can't underestimate what is forming us. Yeah. So think about Daniel. Think about the setting in which he was living his life. It was not a particularly uh, amenable place to be a Jewish believer. No. He was not in a cultural environment where who he was was affirmed, at least in terms of his practices and beliefs. But still, he was able to produce, if you need to use that language, at a level that was impressive, right? Uh, Yeah. He was wise maybe wiser than many of those around him. How was he wise? How did that happen? I would just argue he lived in communion with the one who is wisdom. So I just think, you know, for those of us who, you know, there are some of us who have roles or responsibilities where maybe we're leadership in religious organizations, churches, nonprofits, whatever. But there are other of us, others of us who are living this life in the marketplace, in business, Mm -hmm. in government, in education, whatever. All of those places can be, in fact, not just can be, but are kingdom outposts. Yeah. Opportunities to live this life right in the middle of things and including this 
what I'm describing as an unhurried way. We toss around the word kingdom a lot, and not just with you. I mean, in other conversations that I've had, and sometimes I just want people to understand what we're t- what we mean when we say kingdom living, kingdom life. You know, life on earth as it is in heaven. Can you describe that a little bit and how that really does or should impact how we as Christians live this unhurried life? Yeah. So I think the opportunity is to recognize that Jesus as leader, as King, as Lord, is the best possible life you could imagine. But we live in a world where there are a lot of other kings. Mm. The bottom line is king for many. Making sure everybody likes you is king Mm. for many. Measuring yourself by what you do and by what you have is king for many. But in the kingdom, we learn that our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions, even though the world says our lives in fact do. And if you don't have the latest this, that, or the other, your life is incomplete. Well, when that is king, you will be hurried. But the kingdom, the kingdom is when how Jesus does what he does becomes our way of doing what we do. It's not just following rules or exercising principles. We can still be really in charge or imagine ourselves in charge doing even that. But there's a way in which we live in loving, humble abandonment to the leadership of God in Christ, and that that changes who we are and how we live. We don't desperately need something from our work. We can bring something good to our work. Mm. We don't desperately need something from the people around us. We have something good to bring to the people around us. And that's that's another facet of this unhurried way I'm, I'm talking about. Ooh. And that really does take, um, I feel like, almost a lifetime to get your mind around because we're so saturated in a different way. And that that's a little bit, that's a little bit sad. Uh, Mm -hmm. As believers, you know, just how culturally, how much more culturally influenced we are over biblically influenced. Is that a fair statement? It is hard not to be squeezed into the mold of the world, to use Paul's language in Romans 12. Mm. And the only way that we can resist that temptation to get squeezed into the values of the world around us is to have a greater pressure within us pushing outward. You know, Mm. um, something happening in us that is more potent and that more potent is a is a someone. It is Christ in us. And, you know, little by little, what we learn is that it's not just that I'm learning how to do the things Jesus does or say the things Jesus says. I'm learning how to live the way Jesus Mm. lives. That's a little more subtle. Uh, It's a little uh, harder to grasp. But it's the kind of thing that happens if you have a good friend who's patient and kind. Mm -hmm. You might find spending time with them that patience and kindness rises in value. Yeah, it rubs off. You see, oh, that's that's really good. I think that'd be a good way for me to live too. And it's not even it's not even just a conscious decision. It's a it's a way that we get transformed through Mm -hmm. relationship and through communion. Mm. Well. We did. We haven't talked a lot about your newest book that came out, but it is this the one after you wrote Unhurried Leader, or have you had one in between those two? Yeah. So the the 
flow of books, this most recent one, A Year of Slowing Down is, is, you know, is the new one. The first one was Unhurried Life. Four years later was An Unhurried Leader. Mm-hmm. A few years after that, my wife and I wrote a book called What Does Your Soul Love? Yeah. Which is about transformation and some of the questions that help us stay on that path. And then here now is A Year of Slowing Down, which really is a is an attempt to take the first two hurried books, you know, Unhurried Leader, Unhurried Life, Unhurried Leader, and make it sort of a journey. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what what led you really to decide to write this short form book for people to journey through? Well, it really was the hope that this would be a formational journey. Mm. Your comment a minute ago is that maybe this will take our lifetime. That may not be bad news. Like if if this journey is as substantial as as we're saying it is, spending your whole life on this journey may be a really good way to spend your life. That's right. So the purpose of this book really was to invite people into this more unhurried vision of living. And the advantage of a devotional format is you don't really, you're not supposed to read it, you know, seven pages a day. It's one page a day over the course of a year. Mm. And my hope is that little by little by little, readers will get a vision for this way, find that it, you know, taste and see that it's good and begin to get a feel for uh, what it looks like in their life. Each day is designed with a scripture and a, in a reading, but then at the end are very intentional reflection questions. They're not the kind of questions that you just, you know, take three minutes, answer, and you're done. They're really the kind of questions you live with that you could mm. take into your day. That could be a lens through which you look at your day. You do that for a year, that's going to be transforming. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, well, I, I shouldn't put it in liturgical words, but I mean, it almost is like going through a bit of a liturgy, right? Because when we sure. ask those questions over and over again um, of ourselves, it can definitely do transforming work in us. And so as we begin to close out here and you think about some of the most transformational work that took place in your life, um, who are some of the people that you would say really influenced that work in your life outside of Jesus? Well, I was blessed. I was graced. I was gifted with some mentors in my 20s. Mm. Um, I was a full-time college pastor in a local church. I was full-time student at Fuller Seminary. I was newly married. I was Ooh. burning the candle at both ends and melting it in the middle. I mean, I was just, yeah. and I was on the edge of burnout. No surprise right. now, but God then brought four men into my life. One of them had been, um, was very much into discipleship, but not discipleship like go through books. Discipleship in the spirit of what we've been talking about, living a life of following Jesus. Mm. Another one of those men had spent a year right after a, a very successful church plant in New England, a year alone with God. Wow. And it transformed his life and it changed his ministry. And he began to introduce uh, busy leaders like me to rhythms of life that looked very different from the popular driven visions of leadership that I'd been that had been modeled for me up till then. Yeah. And so these these mentors um they lived what I had read about. Uh, I had read a lot of, you know, Dallas Willard mm-hmm. and Richard Foster and other books. I'd read them. I'd taught about them. I'd preached them. I just hadn't practiced them very much. And these men lived this life. And I learned to live this life too. You know, when Jesus says uh, at the washing of the feet in the upper room, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Mm. 
trying it on, giving it a try, testing yeah. it out, experimenting with it. That's how we get blessed by the goodness of the kingdom that Jesus proclaims. Well, Alan, I'm grateful um, that you've put these works together for us. And I hope that we aren't just partakers through reading of the words, but we are actual doers of the word. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's been a great treat. Thank you. If you haven't listened to the previous three episodes in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen. Each guest oozes wisdom on being a faithful follower of Jesus in order to lead well. Those episodes and all of Alan's books are linked in the show notes at graceenoughpodcast.com slash unhurried leader. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.